We have almost forgotten that we are in a great mortal combat. The battle of the forces of good and the forces of evil. Today we are beginning either to domesticate the devil or else to deny him. God's definition of himself is I am who I am. The devil's definition of himself is I am who I am not. He is most powerful when he is denied. Welcome to Wednesday's War College. My name is Jesse Romero here with Kyle Clement. This is also the month dedicated to the Blessed Virgin Mary. It's May. It's spring in North America. The flowers are beginning to bloom. The earth is fresh and new, symbolizing new life. Uh, let's call the Blessed Mother to pray for us. Virgin Most Powerful, pray for us. Our Lady of Sours, pray for us. St. Joseph, Terror of Demons, pray for us. Wednesday War College. we got a lot of spiritual warfare questions, a lot to talk about. We have Kyle Clement. Uh, by the way, if you don't know who Kyle Clement is... Kyle Clement is, is uh, arguably probably the most literate, uh, the most informed layperson on planet Earth when it comes to Catholic spiritual warfare. Uh, he would be what I would call, that's the top of the food chain when it comes to all things spiritual warfare. And by the way, just want to remind you that there's a mother-daughter retreat, June 26th to July 1st with Father Ripperger. And there's also a reclamation theology retreat, June 12th to June 17th. With Kyle Clement, reclamation theology means we need to go back to tradition. We need to reclaim what was Catholic and what we've lost. And for information on all these retreats, go to libracristo.org. Libracristo.org. Kyle, welcome. Welcome, my friend. Hey, Jesse. It's good to be with you this morning. Hey, I can hear you perfect. Kyle, uh, it seems like if uh, the devil's having a field day right now with this leaked uh, Supreme Court decision. Uh, this this pending decision in June, this leak from some Catholic uh, from some leftist uh, law clerk, <clears throat> got the country even more divided. And exactly, uh, that's exactly the, the the fruits of Satan is division. Want to make you want just a comment before we go on to today's show about uh, what your take is on this uh, this whole SCOTUS leak? Yeah, um, I think several. I, I thank you for the opportunity to make the comment. First of all. Um, we studied this case in law school as a, being an exemplary case of, quote, bad law. Mm. And so law students have studied this case for years as an example of legislating from the bench. It's poorly decided. The case is poorly done. What is amazing is that it has remained in effect. It's remained um, unchanged for, for this, these many years. Usually when a case, if those are constitutional law uh, scholars will tell you that when a case is this uh, deviant in the way it's decided and constructed, not on the matter, not on the subject matter, but the method, um, then it very rarely stands for more than a decade or so. But this has been an amazing longevity. I think that you rightly point out that this is a leftist thing to try to, and you see the res response, it's leaked. And now we have legislatures around the country trying to codify this at the state and at the federal level and make it legislative law rather than judicial ruling. And so it's a very good insight into what's happening in our in our uh, society where there's a group of people who are trying to legalize child sacrifice. And that's that's precisely what it is. 
Yep, you've got uh, all these people in Washington, outside of Washington, D.C., outside of the Supreme Court. They've been, uh, these crowd of worshipers have been chanting the Moloch all night, and obviously he hasn't answered them. And you've got a bunch of Moloch worshipers in all the state capitals, even here in Arizona. They've been there all night, you know, chanting the Moloch. Uh, this is, you have one side of the country, uh, people that have common sense, patriots, conservatives, and people of faith. We know this is absolutely evil, thou shalt not kill. The, and uh, and uh, the catechism actually says uh, the, about the four most egregious sins that cry the vengeance of God to heaven is killing an innocent person. There's nobody more innocent than a baby. But then you got the other side. These uh, the other side, uh, the Moloch worshippers. These people are completely. Uh, this is their sacrament. Abortion is sacrosanct to them, and they treat it like a religion. And so uh, we have we have come now. Kyle, into the point where I think America, uh, we call it the United States of America, but it's going to be more than anything, the, the divided states of America as a result of this issue, child sacrifice. What say you? Hey, you're precisely right, Jesse, and it's a great insight. We're divided along, along theological lines, those who believe in the one true God and worship him, and those who believe, worship, and are empowered by the false deity uh, of Satan, Lucifer, that which opposes the one true God. And so what we're seeing is the same old shoot 'em up it's nothing new. The Israelites fought this against the Syrians, uh, against every other pagan nation. So it's really nothing new. It's just another uh, stage upon which the same drama will be played out, um, the forces of good versus forces of evil. I'll tell you what's different this time, though, is uh, we are a church weakened by an effeminate clergy and an effeminate mm. hierarchy. And mm. in the battle against good and evil, children of light and dark, the children of light better show up. Because if we don't, we are forfeiting daily when we don't show up. Amen. Kylo, I want to just move over to the more of the pop culture. I know we don't talk a lot about pop culture here, but I just want to get your take. There's a, and I, I don't know who's famous because I don't watch much TV. I definitely don't watch m movies. I haven't watched movies in years. Every now and then I'll watch a good Catholic or Protestant movie. Uh, but there's a, a, I guess, a famous actress. Her name is Megan Fox, and I'm, my, my young adult kids know who she is. I don't. Uh, but apparently, Megan Fox is uh, her boyfriend is another rapper, famous actor, a guy named Machine Gun Kelly. Now, <clears throat> this is all over the all over the news cycle. Megan Fox uh, talks about drinking her boyfriend Machine Gun Kelly's blood. And she uh, she's admitted, I guess, in an, in an article published by Glamour, uh, she said the following. Yeah. So I guess uh, to drink each other's blood might mislead people or uh, people are imagining us with goblets uh, and like, and we're like Game of Thrones drinking each other's bloods. Fox said when she was asked if she actually drinks the blood of her boyfriend, according to Glamour, she says it's just a few drops. But yes, we do consume each other's blood on occasion for ritual purposes only. And uh, during the interview, she also admitted she has an affinity for reading tarot cards, her interest in astrology. Uh, she says uh, she's she also says that uh, I do rituals on new moons and full moons and all these things. So without a doubt, she's obviously a witch, cor correct? 
Yeah, she's, yeah, that's precisely right. And so she's involved in witchcraft, and there's probably a real strong possibility she's involved in straight-up Satanism. Witchcraft <coughs> is a little bit more socially acceptable, but Satanism nonetheless, um, that which is against the holy will of God. But you're you're getting a look now as this these practices become out come out into the open. They they become um, more open. It's not that they're occurring more or they're occurring less. It's just that they're becoming more open. Um, but what she's describing, listen very significant. Listen to the language when she says for ritualistic purposes. So that's satanic rite and ritual. That's what what it is. And and it. The, ultimately, it's the mocking of the sacred blood of our Lord uh, shed for our redemption. And so the you got to look at lifeblood was very, very important and is very, very important because living blood, lifeblood belongs in certain places. This is part of the order of God, is that when lifeblood is outside the body, it's unclean. Uh, the Jew would tell you immediately that the practicing Jew and, and the practicing Christian should have the same sensibility that when the lifeblood is, is no longer contained, then that means the integrity of the corpus or of the body has been compromised. And then for someone to ingest someone else's this goes beyond soul tie. This this is a linkage whereby it's a mocking of the one flesh union uh, in matrimony. Also, the ingestion of the seed or the spilling of the seed. The strict definition of sodomy is the is the uh, the, the depositing of the seed of human procreation in a place where it is non fertile, and so that when you start to look at these things, these are the forces of life. These are uh, the power of procreation. The conjugal union and in the right context is one of the most powerful forces in the universe because by this, we we are either joined to God, joined to his holy will, or we are in direct opposition to it. I hope you give, mm. that it may give a little insight. Oh, absolutely. So, so you would say basically just from what she said, the statement that she's made, that she's probably more involved in Satanism than she is in witchcraft. Correct. Yeah. Wow. You're listening to uh, War College. Jesse Romero, Kyle Clement, uh, All Things Spiritual Warfare here. We've got a lot of questions for Kyle here from uh, the uh, the listeners. Here is one, Kyle. Uh, what somebody said, on a recent episode of the U.S. Grace Force, I heard Father Ripperger say that bishops should be saying binding prayers over their diocese every day. I work for a bishop in Australia and mentioned that to him, but he hadn't heard of binding prayers that could be said generally generically over the diocese he is certainly open to do them if i can point him to the specific prayers would you be able to advise me on this please uh yes and so that what you're looking for is the extemporaneous prayers of an apostle uh binding prayers along the lines of there's not a formulate prayer but essentially the elements necessary are uh the bishop would say, I bind any and all demons which are interfering with my people or this flock from participating in the sacraments, which are keeping them from right relationship with God, which impo uh, which impede their, um, their reconciliation. Kyle, Kyle, hold that thought. Hold that thought, my friend. We're going to continue with that. We're talking to Kyle Clement, and he's going to tell us what a bishop should pray over his diocese. What generic prayers, binding prayers can he pray? You're listening to War College. 
Uh, Jesse Romero, Kyle Clement, we'll be right back. Don't stick around. War caller, Jesse Romero, Kyle Clement. Kyle Clement, by the way, in case you don't know him, uh, he's uh, Father Ripperger's right-hand man. If there's somebody, uh, he's he's the most literate lay Catholic, the most informed, the most educated lay Catholic when it comes to Catholic spiritual warfare on planet Earth. We're honored to have him here on Wednesdays, him and Dan Schneider, uh, part of uh, two of the Liber Crystal instructors. And uh, we have the opportunity to ask Kyle and Dan uh, high-level questions here. A lot of you email me questions throughout the week, so I, I say them for Kyle or Dan for Wednesdays. So, Kyle, <clears throat> we'll start off fresh with this. So, there's a, a, a on a recent episode of the U.S. Grace Force, I heard of Father Ripper say that bishops should be saying binding prayers over their diocese every day. I worked for a bishop in Australia and mentioned that to him, but he hadn't heard of binding prayers that could be said generically over the diocese. The bishop is certainly open to do them. If I can point him to the specific prayers, would you be able to advise me on this, please? So uh, uh, you got cut off uh, by the by the break. Go ahead, Kyle. Kyle, are you there? Okay. Uh, we'll be calling Kyle back up. This is uh, Jesse Romero, War College. We're talking about all things spiritual warfare. I have a bunch of these questions that I'm ready to ask Kyle that people have emailed me and they uh, I save them for the Wednesday show where we ask high-level spiritual que- spiritual warfare questions. And uh, <clears throat> there's the Mother-Daughter Retreat, June 26th to July 1st. That's with Father Ripperger. If you want information for that, go to libercristo.org. Go to libercristo.org. <clears throat> also, there's another retreat put on by Liber Cristo. It's called Reclamation Theology Retreat. And Richard, go ahead and let me know when Kyle's back on. I'll just talk till Kyle gets back on. <clears throat> There's another uh, retreat put on by Liber Cristo. It's called Reclamation Theology Re- Retreat. That's from June 12th to June 17th. And that's with Kyle Clement. That, uh, that retreat is all about Reclamation Theology. It's about reclaiming the teachings of the Catholic Church that have been obfuscated by the modern modernists in recent times. So it's a retreat teaching Catholics how to reclaim and what are the things that we have lost the last 60 years. We want to reclaim them. So you can sign up for both of those retreats, one with Father Ripperger, the other one with Kyle Clement, who's Father Ripperger's right-hand man, by going to libercristo.org, libercristo.org. Or you can get information on all these retreats by emailing LLC at gmail.com. Monte, that's M-O-N-T-E, Christo, C-H-R-I-S-T-O, L-L-C, <clears throat> at gmail.com. Okay, uh, so we're waiting for Kyle Clement, and uh, we just got a couple of questions we want to ask him. He was talking about Megan Fox, who apparently is a famous actress. It goes to show you how much I watch television. 
I had to ask my kids who Megan Fox was, and they said she's a famous actress. Uh, and apparently uh, she's uh, divorced and she's dating another famous actor. I had to ask my kids who he was. I don't know who he was, Machine Gun Kelly. And uh, apparently she's been boasting about drinking his blood. Well, Kyle says, it was my suspicion, but he just confirmed it. He said, the drink, drinking the blood of another human being is a satanic ritual. So, Megan Fox, when you read her article, you can see, <clears throat> you can see that uh, she actually uses the word. She does this as a ritual. Okay, She just leaves the word satanic out of it, but she admits that she drinks the blood of her boyfriend as a ritual. And so Kyle just confirmed <clears throat> with his vast knowledge of spiritual warfare that this is something that is uh, it's normal among Satanists. It's a satanic ritual. <clears throat> a lot of other questions we're going to... Oh, here's another question until Kyle comes on. <clears throat> Somebody asked this question. Very good question. And, and uh, here I get, they said, uh, Jesse, uh, question is... <clears throat> Uh, listener to War College, he says, uh, I have a question. The first one is, what is the exact time frame from when a demon attaches itself to a person to possession? Is it months or years of living in sin? I'm asking this out of increasing knowledge of the faith and I'm not experiencing these things. <clears throat> uh, let me see what's going on here with Kyle. Uh, okay, so they're still trying to connect with Kyle. <clears throat> so what's the answer to that? That's a good question. So the person's asking, what's the time frame from a, when the time a demon attaches itself to a person to possession? Is it months or years of living in sin? Well, the answer to that question is no human being can answer that question since there's no timeline or thermometer or microscope or x-ray or MRI to measure with precision and detail when a person goes from diabolical affliction to possession. Objectively, it only takes one unconfessed, unrepentant mortal sin to become possessed, but all possession is permitted by God for a salvific person. Now, so some, of you, some of you will say, well, then why aren't more people possessed? Because there's a lot of people living in mortal sin. It's only because of God's grace, because of God's goodness, because of his kindness and mercy. Uh, God doesn't give us in this lifetime, generally speaking, what we deserve. But yeah, one mortal sin is all you need to become diabolically possessed. But we can't forget that God determines when he allows the demon to possess a person and God determines when the person will be liberated. Exorcists and tenured team members, they know that when a person's possessed, there are four classic signs of possession. So that's how they know when a person is possessed. So, <clears throat> you're listening to War College. My name is Jesse Romero. <clears throat> Here's another question. And I'll just uh, continue going through these questions and answers until my engineer tells me that Kyle is back on. <clears throat> so, uh, okay, my engineer is saying I've called Kyle's number several times, but there's no answer. Hmm, okay. Hope he's okay. So, <clears throat> here's a question. What does it mean that demons are legalistic? What does that mean? <clears throat> demons are legalistic. In other words, 
they know when they have permission to inhabit the body of a person, they know when they have to leave. For example, living in mortal sin, that gives a demon permission. Uh, <clears throat> number two, having made a pact with Satan in a black mass, for example, you're giving demon permission. They're legalistic. They know they know have permission. Number three, having satanic tattoos also are the perfect storm for a demon to enter a person and torment them. That's a common phrase that you'll hear Father Ripperger and Kyle Clement say that demons are lawyers from hell. Uh, demons follow the authority structure set up by God. That's what that means. Here's another question. Can demons hear my prayers if they're silent? Good question. Can demons hear my prayers if they're silent? <clears throat> yes. Because you can project prayers without words. Dr. Peter Crave says, angels project knowledge without words as well. <clears throat> angels communicate by mental telepathy. Close quote. When you're praying in silent meditative or contemplative prayer, even though you're not speaking words, you're projecting prayers, you're projecting God's word into the cosmos. In prayer, your emotions are projected as well, and demons can detect these affections coming from the heart. Much like a husband and a wife can communicate with each other without words. It's that simple gaze into each other's eyes. It's that simple touch which speaks a thousand words. There's a term that I that I learned as a cop in the academy. It's called it's called kinesics. <clears throat> kinesics. It's also a martial arts term from my martial arts background. It refers to movements and and motions that we make with our body in the communicative nature. It's called body language. Trained fighters and cops are very skilled at reading body language. Well, demons are much more intelligent than we are. Plus, they study us all day long. Father William Wagner uh, from Opus Angelorum says this, quote, Angels are pure intellect and pure will. Close quote. Demons are like insurance actuaries because they can predict based on statistical probability by observing your pattern of behavior. They're like insurance actuaries. Demons will set up a temptation that you're vulnerable to, demons look at the pattern of your life and see if they can find a break in it. If they can find that break in your pattern, they will exploit that person's vulnerabilities. <clears throat> Father Fertea, he also comments on this question. He says, demons cannot read our thoughts with their great intelligence. They can guess what we are thinking but can never be absolutely certain. As spiritual beings, they are much more intelligent than we are, and as such, they can deduce things with greater accuracy and with fewer external signs than we can. This being said, if one directs his mind and will to a saint, an angel, or a demon, they can hear us. So it does not matter whether our prayer is verbal or merely mental. In certain cases of possession, Father Fortea says, I have observed that the demon obeys orders that have been given mentally. 
You're listening to War College. My name is Jesse Romero. We're supposed to have Kyle Clement on. Uh, we're trying to trying to get a hold of him still, and and it doesn't surprise me that uh, something would happen to the technology where we can't get him on. But here's another question: <clears throat> Do demons fear the liturgy of the hours? Ah, that's a great question. Do demons fear the liturgy of the hours? Yes. Yes, demons fear the liturgy of the hours more than any other type of prayer, but for the holy sacrifice of the Mass. Why? Because of the liturgy of the hours, there is order. What does order mean? There's uniformity, there's structure, there's discipline. There's also, number two, constancy. What does constancy mean? There's fidelity and consistency in prayer. That's what we find in the liturgy of the hours. This is the way demons used to pray in heaven before their fall. In fact, in heaven, the saints pray liturgically. There are acclamations, doxologies, and antiphons. There's uniformity in structure in heaven. Heaven does not look like some Protestant Pentecostal free-for-all where the saints are in spontaneous prayer and speaking in tongues. No. The Jews prayed liturgically and still do. Our Lord Jesus Christ prayed liturgically as well. The liturgy of the hours leans heavily on God's word. We'll be right back. War College. Stick around. Get up, get up, get up, get up. <laughs> this is War College. Jesse Romero, uh, the studio's trying to get a hold of Kyle Clement. We're going to still be, we're going to be plugging along these questions that people have sent to the studio. And the question I was answering was, do demons fear the liturgy of the hours? And the answer is yes, because the liturgy of the hours, it leans heavily on the Word of God. And remember, what's the Word of God called in the Bible? It's called the sword of the Spirit. It's an offensive weapon that wounds and torments demons. Remember that prayer begets what it signifies, especially when it's linked to a liturgical day. It makes it much, much more powerful because you're bringing in the entire weight of the church through the Pope, bishops, and priests, their sacramental prayers upon your house or upon the, 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 the person or object you're praying for. Uh Remember that uh, there's also what's called the epiphany prayer over your house. That's also very powerful. That taps into the mystical body of Christ. You're tapping into the prayer power of the church militant, suffering and triumphant. So praying the liturgy of the hours, what it does, it augments the blessings and, and the, it, it augments the blessings and graces uh, because there's so much prayer power flowing around the world at those certain times of the day. Think about praying the liturgy of the hour or praying at a set time of day like 6, 12, and 6, for example. Okay? The 6, 12, and 6 
prayers. This goes all the way back to the Old Testament. The, the, it was called the three daily prayers in Jewish law. The Jews prayed. It was their duty to pray three times a day daily in the morning, in the afternoon, and at nightfall. And these prayers, the morning prayer for the Jews is called Sacharit. The afternoon prayer is called Mincha. And the evening prayer is called Arvif. And so as Catholics, we've copied the Jews back in the Temple of Jerusalem, their, uh, their three daily prayers, morning, midday, and evening, and we've incorporated it into a Catholic monastic life, especially as, uh, in the Liturgy of the Hours. When you pray, for example, at set times, 6, 12, and 6, or the Liturgy of the Hours, what you're doing is, is you're uniting your prayer with millions of Catholics around the world that are praying at that time. Think about this. I'll give you an analogy. <clears throat> Think about a swimmer. A swimmer's going to swim a lot faster if he swims in the same direction of a strong river current. But he's not going to swim as fast in a still pond of water or maybe going up, uh, uh, you know, going against, uh, going against the tide. Or also, here's another one for you men. Picture a Roman soldier about to go into battle. Think about the movie, the... Uh, the uh, the gladiator then you have uh you have the spaniard that he who was a general for the roman legions picture a roman soldier remember when they're about to go into the battle against the barbarians the roman legions in in the movie gladiator they're all standing in formation they're rhythmically pounding their shields rhythmically pounding their shields slowly, methodically, with quiet intensity. What does it do? It strikes fear in the heart of their enemies. This is exactly what Catholic prayer does, the Liturgy of the Hours. United to a feast day especially, or united to particular times of the day when the church is at prayer. Demons just stand there like wild, savage barbarians, and they see Catholics like a Roman legion, methodically organized in formation, pounding their shields. That's what they see when they see liturgical prayer, the 6, 12, and 6 prayer, or the liturgy of the hours. Here's another question. Very good question from the audience. Why do demons manifest in the diabolically afflicted? Wouldn't it be better to get souls to hell by just remaining hidden? Great question. I'll repeat it again. Why do demons manifest in the diabolically afflicted? Wouldn't it be better to get souls to hell by just remaining hidden? Well, let me define first what manifestation is. Manifestation is when the energumen, which means the possessed, exhibits preternatural changes, for example, shape-shifting, or is physically violent or verbally abusive. Diabolical manifestation occurs when one's will is in conflict with the demons. When your will is aligned with the demon there will be no diabolic manifestation. In other words, 
If you're diabolically afflicted and you're praying, reading the Bible or being prayed over by a priest or someone who has authority over you, these practices torment, afflict, and trigger the demon. And demons will now appropriate your senses. Father Antonio Fortea, he says that there's two principal types of demons that cause two distinct types of possession. You got the Klausi and the Aperti demon. The Klausus demon, that's Latin, the Klausus demon causes the possessed to close his eyes with them rolled back when entering into a trance. An Apertus demon causes the possessed to keep his eyes open while in a trance, giving looks of anger and rage and speaking a great deal. The Aperti demons are loquacious and violent, and the possessed person often needs to be held down during the exorcism. The Klausi demon will speak after some time of prayer, always without opening their eyes, but others are completely mute. Father Fertea talks about the, the abdidi, that's a Latin word which means hidden or secret. Abdidi, it's Latin for hidden or secret. The abdidi demons are those that, that hide in the interior of the possessed without showing themselves in any way. The person notices a change in his life and feels strange things that make him suspect. There is an external force that has entered him. He can even experience preternatural phenomena. But when the priest prays, the demon resists and gives no sign of being present. In some cases, the abdidi demons have been able to resist two hours of exorcism without giving the least sign of their presence. After much insistence, though, the demon cannot resist any longer and shows himself in all his rage and with all the signs that often appear in possession. The abdidi demons are not a distinct type of demons, they're simply demons who hide themselves within the person. Once they've been forced to reveal themselves, they will act like the Klausi or the Aperti demons. At times, God forces the devil to show the devil's true hideous nature when he appropriates, where he appropriates the senses of the diabolically afflicted person. This is known as a demonic or diabolic manifestation. Let's not forget that the power of the devil is not infinite and the devil acts only with the permission of God. As the Catechism tells us in paragraph 395, any manifestation is allowed by God. Sometimes a demon will manifest to intimidate or manipulate the person so as to habituate the person's will so he can more easily lead him to sin and also, and also gain access to the in intellect. Or he may do or he may do so to assert dominance over a place or person, not unlike the predatory world. When one's will and intellect are compromised, often through systematic diabolic conditioning, the demon can also more easily project thoughts and feelings, often fears and shame embedded in the memory, and therefore attempt to further control the person. When God allows the demon to manifest, however, it is so as to drive the soul back to God through prayer and conversion. The soul is allowed to suffer, therefore, so as to turn to God. In addition, God is trying to show us something, that is 
how the demon manifests also teaches us something about the demon himself, his entry point and the wounds and vices behind which he hides and feeds. So the demon is careful not to push a soul too far, but at the same time is driven by its disordered instinct to destroy souls. The word manifestation basically means, manifestation means to make visible, just as described in the four classic signs of the 1614 rite of exorcism. Demons are the most tightly regulated species in the universe. Therefore, they are highly predictable. Shape-shifting, the elongation of body structure, is part of a diabolical manifestation. Demons are, are forced to manifest by God, and during the manifestation, they want to scare the priests and team. However, a demonic manifestation shows the team something. They're giving up intel on who they are, what, where, when, and how they operate. They start showing a pattern, which gives the priest and the team the intel to drive it out and liberate the person. It's like this. The cop chases a bad guy into a dark alley and, and, uh, and he hides. The bad guy hides behind a dumpster. The cop with his flashlight begins to probe the dark corners of the alley. He notices that it's a dead end. There's no way out. As he keeps on looking and that light finds the perpetrator hiding, he's going to have a manifestation, a reaction. The suspect's now visible to him because he lit him up with the flashlight. Will the suspect yield or will he try to overrun the cop? The demon is in the exact same spot. The prayers illumine and, and light and light up and light up the dark spot. The demon is exposed. The manifestation now forces the demon to make a decision, confront the exorcist or yield. We'll continue talking about spiritual warfare. My name is Jesse Romero. This is War College. Stick around. More spiritual warfare coming up. Joker, do you believe in the Virgin Mary? Sir, no, sir! Well, private Joker, I don't believe I heard you correctly. Sir, the private said no, sir, sir! Well, you little maggot, you make me want to vomit! I'm in the heathen, you had best sound off that you love the Virgin Mary, or I'm going to stomp your guts out. Now, you do love the Virgin Mary, don't you? <laughs> A very politically correct moment in movie history. I wish we would have more of them. You're listening to Jesse Romero, War College. On Wednesdays, we usually have Dan Schneider or Kyle Clement, but uh, uh, something happened with our connection with Kyle. So just I just hope and pray that he's okay. Uh, Virgin Most Powerful, pray for him. Protect him. St. Joseph, Terror Demons, pray for him and protect him. I hope he's okay. Amen. So we're continuing. Uh, the question is, why do demons manifest in the diabolically afflicted, that, that's the question. Wouldn't it be, it'd be better to get souls to hell by just remaining hidden? Uh, demons manifest not because they want to, but because they're forced to. In the same way, like I just told you, a suspect running from the cops who hides behind the dumpster until you, you, you shine the light on him, he has to do something now, fight or flight. 
Same with the demons. They will hide until they're forced to manifest. Then they will either yield or combat. Every time he manifests, the demon manifests, he's giving you information about himself. Then a book is built on this data. Again, it's like chasing a guy who always runs from the police. He's a creature of habit. He'll follow the same pattern. The diabolical are extremely patterned and will react exactly the same way. The same demon will act differently as he manifests in different people because every person is different and the demon will adapt to their personality. Demons are the most structured creatures in the universe. They're the most ordered creature in the cosmos. In response to the sacred, they pattern out. This means... That This means, if you do this, demons will do that. In other words, their pr- behavior is predictable. Here's another question from the audience, another email question to War College. We know that demons can be in... F- we know that houses, excuse me, can Hello? be in... Ah, Kyle, we were worried about you. <laughs> we, we thought you got taken hostage by the, the pro boards or something. <laughs> don't, don't don't pay the ransom i'll escape <laughs> we're saying where's kyle the pro boards went to his house and took him took him hostage glad you're back it's, brother uh, it's been storming up here and so um i think that there's probably been some some damage to cell towers and things like that because this is just really sketchy i hope it lasts Okay, so let me ask the question. You were talking about a bishop's asking you, what can he do in terms of binding prayers over the diocese? Are there generic prayers that he can do? Specific prayers? What would you advise the bishop from from Australia? So the bishop from Australia, pray as a prince, because you are a prince of the church. And the flock and those that are in your care, those souls in your care, are your subjects. If you were a coronated uh, ruler of a duchy or um, of, a, of a kingdom, how would you pray? Pray that same way, because that's exactly what, uh, that's exactly what this configuration is. Uh, pray that the Lord shower your subjects with grace and that no demons interfere with their ability to receive that grace and be reconciled with God the Father. I think that we've lost this understanding that the bishops are the spiritual princes of the church. They are the stewards uh, of the sacrament. And so they want to distribute the sacraments. They want to save souls. Um, and so they want to bind anything that interferes with that. Kyle, would you say that, that the bishop obviously should should pray in precatory type specific prayers, right? I mean, I, 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 I bless, I bind, right? He should... He said, pay the imprecatory type of praise, correct? Absolutely. Absolutely. He, from the demonic standpoint, they see him as Peter, as James, as John. He is the apostle. Uh, this is part of, you know, this is a beauty of, of uh, reclamation theology. Remember, you learned apostolic succession. You learned that there is an unbroken uh, line of hands on shoulders that goes from Peter to this bishop. This bishop's shadow is the shadow of Peter. This bishop's voice is the voice of Peter. This bishop is the apostle in Australia. Kyle, would it would also be safe or recommended that a bishop 
can pray chapter three over his diocese, you know, on a couple times a year? I think it's, yeah, I think it's, it's very recommended. Jesse, very quietly, there are several bishops in the United States who have exercised their diocese. Um, and we, Father Ripperger has developed a, a paraliturgy for this purpose. Um, and I'd be happy to, if they email, I'll be happy to get it to the bishops or the bishops' offices that want to use this. But in many, many locations, especially with the um, proliferation of witchcraft and Satanism, the formal uh, exorcism of a diocese and then the, um, the blessing of that diocese, marking the corners of the diocese, geographical corners of the diocese with, with blocks of blessed salt, the, these things are happening, and they're happening around the country, not just in isolated instances, but more and more bishops, good bishops, are picking up on this. That's good to hear, Kyle. Tell, just uh, some people may, first time they ever hear something about uh, these blocks of salt in the fourth corners of a house or property or a diocese. Repeat that one more time. What's the theology behind this? It's a sacramental, correct? It is a sacramental, and the salt lasts much, much longer uh, than water, which evaporates. But that's one of the uh, different efficacies of, of water. Exercised water is exercised, and part of that blessing is there is a salt. Uh, exercised salt is d- sprinkled into the water, so that when the water evaporates, it still leaves a signature, salt being a, a more lasting element that doesn't not subject to such rapid evaporation. But all of these sacramentals have a metaphysical and have a real um, methodology of working, and they do work. And the diabolical knows it and knows it very well. And so that's why salt marks the geographical corners of the blessing and and the bishop marking his area, if you will, um, is very, very important in spiritual warfare. The other thing that a bishop should do at least once a year is some type of Eucharistic procession. Uh, public Eucharistic procession. He should celebrate and and participate in that at least once a year. Um, this is very very effective in spiritual warfare. And I know I know a lot of them do that right now. I've seen it. I've been keeping track around the country for the last couple of years. An annual Eucharistic procession. So that's, uh, yeah, that's that's awesome. Here's one more question. We'll probably have one more question before uh, the, the show is uh, we wrap it up. Somebody asked another question. When I was a young child, my mother was friends with a person who considered himself a high priest in a satanic coven. I saw a demon manifest in my childhood home. By God's grace, I was drawn to and received into the Catholic Church in my 20s. Since marrying and moving away from my mother, I am more at peace. But do I need to take any further steps or praying anything specific to break any possible effects this friendship may have had on me as a child? Um, I think you go through the renounce, reject, and rebuke uh, methodology. You you don't want to have anything to do with this individual, um, and you also don't want to have any, any material things uh, in your possession. Now, by the same token, I think that you're bound to pray for the soul. Uh, Lord, let them see themselves as you see them, um, because even the most ardent Satanists, we've had many satanic high priests who've been liberated uh, but in order for them to be functioning as a, as a satanic high priest, they are going to be de facto possessed. And so um, what you're looking for is that prick of conscience sometime in their life before their final breath 
uh, they turn to God and say, out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. No one is beyond that. Uh, but you don't want to have the physical and temporal ongoing association because they traffic in cursed objects. In the same way that you traffic in blessed sacramentals, they traffic in the counterfeit of those, uh, which allows a demon to be present. If you take these objects into your home, it allows a demon to be present to you and in your home. And this is part of what uh, the problem is in associating with these individuals, even if they're family members. Uh, you don't want to you don't want to eat their their offerings. You don't want to eat the, their food. You don't want to take things in material things into your house, uh, because just think about it from a, a counterfeit of a sacramental, and that's that's largely what they're doing. They may not know they're doing that, but the demon that is animating them knows they're doing that. So uh, this young man should also be praying the light of Christ prayer for his mom as well, obviously. I mean, he's, he doesn't live with the mom, but if the mom was uh, having cavorting with, uh, with a high priest from the Satanic Coven, she's probably uh, compromised or diabolically afflicted. So he should be praying the light of Christ prayer for his mom as well, correct? Absolutely, Jesse. Absolutely. Kyle, make this, give, this, uh, give this answer in about a minute. we got about a minute and a half real quick. What does it mean when Father Ripperger yourself used the term demons are legalistic? Break that down. Okay, so from a legalistic, what, what that means is they are bound. They're one of the most tightly regulated creatures in all the universe. They're regulated, first of all, by their fallen nature. They cannot act outside it. They cannot repent. They cannot amend their life. They can't change. Um, and so that's one restriction. And then the second restriction is whatever their area of focus is, whatever they were created to do, they still have that same focus, that same zeal. So an, um, an angel of purity becomes a demon of perversion. And so he's not going to, to cross over to a demon of larceny or cross over to a demon of infidelity other than it's associated with the perversion. So they're true to their nature. Each one is, is true to their nature, and they're confined by their fallen nature. And then the third and most most uh, encompassing restriction is the rules of engagement that God imposes on all demons, and then what he allows each one to do providentially. And so this is a great topic, but it's very rich in theology, but they are limited strictly by what God allows. But the rules of engagement are what we mean by them being legalistic. And so you, you would... Uh, Think of a, a lawyer, think of the worst trial lawyer you can imagine uh, with the, the mental disposition, psychological disposition of a 12-year-old surly boy who is not only sarcastic but is, is looking for the angle, how to, how to um, manipulate. And then you've pretty well got the psychology of a demon. Got it. Good stuff. War College, my name is Jesse Romero. That's a wrap. I've been here with Kyle Clement talking about spiritual warfare, questions from the audience. Keep emailing me your questions, and I will present them on Wednesdays to Kyle Clement or Dan Schneider. Uh, as for us, we are EOW End of Watch. We are out. Up next, Gary Machuda, Hands-On Apologetics, coming to you from the Midwest Command Center. Stick around. You don't want to miss what's up. God bless you. Keep the faith.